One out of every four Americans is a woman, over 40. That's 83 million women, over 40. We did this big survey among women over 40, asking them what they thought about advertising and marketing and how they felt they were portrayed. And the overwhelming majority were really irate that they were left out of the conversation, that they weren't targeted, that they felt they didn't matter, that they were kicked aside for the next new shiny model. Do you feel heard? Seen? Reflected in the stories that the culture is selling us. Katie Keating co-founded her advertising agency, Fancy, because most of us don't. I'm Katie Keating, and this is a lesson on doing it anyway. Katie, what is your earliest memory of being creative? It is being a little kid and always doing the assignment in school in a kind of sideways, approaching it differently, sometimes because I just didn't like to be told how to do something, and sometimes because I thought it would be more fun to do it another way, or I'm sure there were times where I just didn't even really get what the assignment was supposed to be, but that (laughs) encouraged my teachers to have parent comments like, your daughter's so creative. Your daughter is as translation for, she's not really doing what we want her to do necessarily, but (laughs) she's got some interesting ideas. So you're in creative business. Tell me a little bit about your journey to forming Fancy. I am one of the few people who ended up in the creative department of an ad agency because I wanted to be there. So lots of People just end up there because it's a way to pay bills while you're trying to write the great American novel, or you want to be a painter, you also need to eat, and so you're an art director, something like that. But I, from a young age, really knew, even before I knew that the job was called copywriter or anything like that, I knew I wanted to be in an environment where I was getting paid to make ideas, to think up stuff, to approach the assignment from a different direction. And I went to just a liberal arts college and was ready to go get a job when I graduated. And I was given some advice from somebody at a, a big agency in Chicago who said, you'll need a portfolio. And of course, I didn't know what that was. And she told me, that I needed that in order to have a job in a creative department and that I needed to go to this particular school in Atlanta and put together a portfolio. So I did. And then I came to New York directly after that in and around all these big blue chip agencies, Saatchi and Publicis and J. Walter Thompson and a bunch of places. And eventually that sort of, I had it with that just about the same time that the 3% conference and 3% movement really, as it's become, came out and said that 3% of creative directors were women. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't believe it. Mm -hmm. I was just gobsmacked at that Mm -hmm. statistic. Mm -hmm. And I had a good friend who had been one of my art director partners in the past at a couple of different jobs. And she and I were talking about it. And so we had always talked about, if we had an agency, we'd do things differently. If we were in charge, things would be so much better. And because we were both the breadwinners for our families, we couldn't just quit 
and start an agency. But when we saw this statistic, that really made us feel like, wow, maybe we really should. And literally just like the universe handed us this client. It was somebody that Erica knew from her daughter's school, and she was creating a brand that she wanted Unilever Ventures to back. And Mm -hmm. we helped her really formulate what that brand would be and how it would communicate to to women. And the way it could really exist, it was a beauty technology device. Mm -hmm. It was brand new. So we were having to invent a whole category, not just a new product. And and long story short, Unilever bought her idea, funded her project, and she asked us to be her agency. And we thought, this is exactly what we've said we needed. And can we do it though? Can, do we have the guts to quit our big agency jobs and go do this? We looked around and we realized not only were there so few female creative directors, but once they started to get older, there were even fewer. So that's really what made us decide to start Fancy was when we realized that as insane as this sounds, the most conservative sort of sensible long-term plan that we could have was to quit our nicely paying jobs and start our own agency as a way to have a little bit of control because otherwise we would, we really truly felt that we would just be sitting around waiting to be fired. Yeah, I'm curious, is that because they're pushed out or aging out because of children. I actually tempt in my early days inside of J. Walter Thompson and Leo Burnett in Toronto. And it was interesting because I remember there was at the time a woman who had worked her way up from secretary, receptionist to head of the agency. And that was very like this popular lore that was like floating around. It's really a combination of everything. So you become more expensive as you get older, right? As you move up the ranks, your time becomes more valuable to you as the person. But lots of times there are children involved or also as we age, even for people who don't have children, you might have to be caretaking your parents, which is something that I found in the role of with in rapid succession, first one, then the next one, even if you can manage it, because I think that women are tremendously efficient. And there is a perception in these agencies that if you're not just hanging around and your whole life revolving around being late, being seen, like all of this stuff that you're not committed. And I think that's not how we operate at Fancy. And that attitude of ours comes directly out of the experience of having been in these big agencies. Also, the Me Too movement did a lot. Advertising's brutal business. It's like for television. It's very similar. Yeah, you just, just, I was like, oh, I wasn't imagining this. Right. Women just at a certain point get sick of it. And so the problem, there are lots of problems with that, but one of the big problems is you have this wealth of talent that could be so valuable to brands, just simply in terms of they've worked enough They have the experience of dealing with crises. They can cut to the chase in a strategic brief. They can handle client relationships very well. We thought, let's harness that talent. And so that's how we started to build our agency. Our agency is not full of 
women over 40, but there's also younger women and women without kids and women who have outside of the office passions that they want to be able to do. And so the way we operate really allows people to fit the job into their life instead of their life into the job. To be a whole person. Because yeah. your creative, yeah, creative expression outside of your job is actually going to contribute to your well-being inside of your job. It's, it's fascinating to me how many companies like a Google or an Apple, they go out of their way, Facebook, to recruit people with this promise of culture and well-being, which is basically humanity that corporations, <laughs> most other corporations have forgotten about, whereas creative corporations are like, oh, let's be humans, whereas we didn't need to take that out to run a company in the first place. I know this from production as well, that I worked inside of a small company, my very last production job, where they were family-oriented. We were a small team, and we we worked nine to five unless we were on a shoot, but we got everything done because that was their value system, that why would we spend extra time that we didn't need to, right. because we were inefficient or sloppy or whatever it was, we were going to set our goals this way and still produce the product. Mm-hmm. So it's a choice. It is a choice. What is the hardest thing about starting your own agency? Oh my God. There are so many hard things. <laughs> there are really a hundred million hard things about starting an agency. But the thing is that I've really learned, even though there are a million hard things about starting an agency, is that other people want you to succeed. That is one of the things that was it surprising to me? I think a lot of women would be surprised by that because there's that uh, competitive thread in our culture, definitely in the masculine paradigm, but also that women are catty and they don't want you to succeed and everybody mm-hmm. wants you to fail. So I love that you're saying that. I think it's really true. And I think also in you know the agency world and especially in the creative department of an agency, my entire career was competition winning the brief, winning the assignment, getting to produce your work, getting the new job, getting the promotion. It's just all competition. Put yourself first. And it can really also mess with your self-esteem, that kind of nonstop barrage of competition where you doubt yourself constantly. That's a big part of why starting an agency is scary because you're like, I don't know, do I have what it takes? Can I do it? Am I good enough? Imposter syndrome, like all of the things But then when you realize that there are so many people that I can call up with a question and they will help me because they want my company to succeed and they want me to succeed. And I feel exactly the same way when people call me. I'm so happy to help anyone who calls. Now, part of the reason we're here is because you wrote this viral post you didn't know it was going to be a viral post, but you wrote a post about being a woman over 40 and how we are, in fact, 25% of the population. What prompted the post in the first place for you? And then how did the response surprise you? My agency has been really interested in women over 40 in terms of both the way they've been portrayed in advertising, as well as their inclusion within advertising agencies. Sometimes I think it takes one to know one. It's no secret. And we did this big survey among women over 40, asking them what they thought about advertising and marketing and how they felt they were portrayed and stuff like that. And the overwhelming majority were 
really irate that they were left out of the conversation, that they weren't targeted, that they felt they didn't matter, that they were kicked aside for the next new shiny model. We've been interested in that for a long time, and I've been writing about it for a long time. And I came across this statistic that is the one you quoted, that uh, one out of every four Americans is a woman over 40. And I was blown away by that fact. And obviously, it's not one out of four are exactly 40. It goes up until 100 plus. But that's still a huge amount of women that, of people, 25% of the country, 83 million people that feel ignored and not, not welcome in a conversation. And just purely as a business target, we think for our brands that we work with, that's a lot of potential customers. That's a lot of money you're leaving on the table by not communicating with them. Like, what do we have to do to make you realize that this group is valuable? And they're obviously valuable for far more than their purchasing power. Also, statistics show inherit a third of the world's wealth. Yes. Not only do they earn it, many women are obviously Mm -hmm. the breadwinner, but they also stand to inherit. It's several trillion dollars of the world's wealth of the next 20 years. Yes. It's a real opportunity for women themselves to stand up and demand and move culture when they move dollars. I also don't think we have to make it necessarily only their responsibility to make things better, of course. But I do think that it's a pretty great opportunity to be able to say, nope, I'm not giving my money to you brand because I don't feel like you're helping me or you charity that's not going down the road that I think you should in terms of helping women in a positive way or really using those dollars to affect the kind of change that they want to. Where can we help elevate women in a more substantial way? Like how can we, as women, be buying other women-owned products and things from other women-owned businesses? How can we support retailers that have programs that promote women-owned products and women-owned businesses? How can regular, just like an average woman, make a big difference? And it's often with the way she spends her money. She controls 80% of household spending decisions. We did talk about this on our podcast. A lot of women don't actually control the investment dollars. So they're controlling the spending in terms of the day-to-day, but Mm -hmm. they're not engaging themselves in these visionary future conversations, whether it's investments, whether it is what you were just talking about, shifting, moving the needle on the culture, Mm -hmm. having your values trickle down through the brands and their Mm -hmm. advertising dollars. One of the, the best changes that we've seen or most exciting examples too of this is Victoria's Secret. Who was Victoria's Secret geared to in the last 30 years, right? Or I don't even mm-hmm. think they've been around that long, but at least, oh no, no, at least since I was in my 20s. So at least yeah. maybe let's say 20s, 20 years, dudes, it's dudes with mm-hmm. our angel wings and our little tight fists and we can't walk in high heels. And then this massive rebrand that they've had with women of 
many different ethnicities and many different body shapes and wearing things that are comfortable to them because third love comes in and totally blows open the category for it. So women using their voices and women saying what is important to them can just be very simple. It doesn't have to be that complicated to do. And, and I think if you're afraid to speak using your dollars is a really easy way to do that. You talk about a lot of taboo subjects in terms of the brands that you take on and breaking taboos around pleasure or breaking taboos around women in wealth. What are some of the subjects you find yourself talking about most often? Most often. We talk about pleasure a lot because one of our longtime clients is an adult retailer. And so that's some really fun work that we've been able to do for them. But we also talk about things relating to aging, like aging in itself is taboo as far as popular culture. If you look at the Gina Davis Institute has a bunch of statistics about women versus men and on-screen time, and it breaks it down into age as well, and how many lines are delivered that aren't about a man. You can't admit your age, that aging itself is a taboo is one of the things that we talk about it and also led to our interest in a focus on women and an expertise on women over 40. But also, I'm really passionate about women and finance, because I really do think that we're not going to be able to really be equal and gain the kind of the seats at the table and the decision-making equality that we deserve until we have financial equality. And I don't think we're going to have that until we can really talk about it with each other in a very open way. Like one of the things that we that we say at the agency is that women are more likely to tell you what's in their bedside table than in their bank account. I've been at dinner parties where literally every single thing has been discussed down to the most intimate detail and nobody would ever tell you how much they make from working. They would never tell you what's in their 401k. They would never tell you how it's invested. With these things that are taboo, it's oftentimes because there's a lot of shame surrounding it. One time I attended this event for high net worth women. It was all women of varying ages, probably skewing older because they are the people who are about to inherit the wealth that you brought up earlier. And it was a really interesting event because no question was a dumb question. And once people started to relax and they saw someone else ask a question, then the questions were really good. And I think the women really left feeling, if not that they had a total grasp of stuff, that they certainly felt empowered to ask the questions and to call up their advisor and to take more control of their own situation. It really did require that sort of very creation of a very safe place to talk about it. talk a lot about feminine leadership on this podcast or Mm -hmm. how women lead. I like to call it feminine leadership. Some people don't. I'm curious, do you think there is is such a thing as feminine leadership? And if yes, how would you define it? I think there is. I don't know if that's always the way everybody would, would label that type of leadership, but I do think that women lead 
differently. I, I feel like that's probably been fairly well documented. I don't think that they often have the opportunities to lead. It's changed over time too, because 30 years ago, when there were only a couple of spots for women at the top, so you if you were one of those lucky women, you were going to do what you had to hold on to that spot and to be one of the guys and emulate what you saw around you. One of the things that's so nice about what's happening now, especially with all the startups that are being started by women, is that there are a lot of examples now out in the world for women to look at, to see how to lead. Women are encouraging for and to other women to say, here's what worked for me. There's so many groups and organizations where women are really happy to share their knowledge and not be competitive and have a rising tide lifts all boats attitude. And I, it's so it's so refreshing. And it's really, it's just really great to be a part of that wave. If you have a, a dude, like a team of dudes, a team of dudes yeah. who've been out there in the world, really used to having a certain kind of conversation. And even though they're influenced by the culture and seeing what's happening, how do you encourage them to take the leap to have a conversation with women in a more inclusive way? In that particular example, it would probably be helpful if that team of dudes invited a few ladies into the group. I, I do think that the conversation changes when women are in the room and that it becomes better for the men too. I don't think it's really just about making it better for women because it's only going to be better for women. It will be better for everybody. If there is something that's important to women, chances are it's important to the world. That's a big part of it is really having a diversified team of people that are going to be able to begin the conversations internally so that the team is prepared to have them externally. Good. I love that. And I, we've heard this theme again and again across the podcast. When it's good for women, it is good for the world. Men benefit because women yes. have sons. So they yeah. don't want their sons to be left out of the conversation. Right. Would you complete the sentence? My wish for every other woman is to go for it. We have a tendency as women to want to set everything up perfectly before we move, before we do the thing. And that tends to, to hold us back a little bit. There are those studies that say women see a job opportunity and they feel like they have to have all the qualifications before submitting. And a man will be like, I could probably do that. And he applies. That attitude can show up in all kinds of places in a, in a woman's life. There's really no, it sounds trite, but there's no better time than right now to do it. No time is going to be the right time. It's never going to be the perfect time to have a baby. It is never going to be the perfect time to start your own business, to quit your job, to ask for a raise, to take a vacation, to propose to the person you love. If you wait, you're just going to be older and still have to do it and not have the benefit of that thing. And it's really exciting to move your life forward. You have all of the answers when you ask the right questions. 
Be visible. Speak your truth. Every other woman needs you to lead. Voice Lessons is produced, written, and spoken by me, Kim Cutable. It's also produced and edited by Sergio Miranda and associate produced by Jessica Manalga. Our music was created by singer-songwriter Claire Hamill. You can find out when we post new episodes when you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. And if you liked what you've heard, we would love it if you leave us a review. For other inspiration, updates, and show notes, subscribe at voicelessonspodcast.com. Oh.